Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, I will be joined by Stephen Lethrop, a seasoned executive and proven business leader who has worked as a partner, CEO, and executive director of private equity-backed financial services and technology businesses. Stephen has also led large teams within a very well-known consulting firm. I've had the opportunity to work with Stephen many years ago, actually, as I was leading strategy, innovation, and go-to-market execution for a tech company servicing the insurance market in Europe, Africa, and Australasia. The business has been acquired today. Today, Stephen leads the insurance practice at ISI, a geospatial data provider to the insurance and government sectors. According to a report produced by Markets and Markets, the global geospatial analytics market is estimated to grow at a CAGR of 12.2% from $68 billion in 2022 to $120 billion by 2027. One of the main drivers is the increased demand for location-based services across various industries, including transportation, construction, and agriculture, but also for urban planning and management, disaster response, and environmental monitoring. Over the course of the podcast, we decided to explore what is geospatial data and how to make best use of it. How does geospatial inform the future of underwriting and claims. We will deep dive into examples as to where geospatial data is best used. And Steve is going to give us some examples from ISI. And finally, I've asked Stephen to give us some advice for insurance companies looking to incorporate geospatial data into their underwriting and claims processes. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, do not forget to subscribe to it, rate it, and provide a comment here below. If there is a topic that you feel needs addressing, just send me a message using the channel option listed below too. So it is time to welcome Stephen. Hi, Steve. Thank you very much for being with me on Scouting for Growth. Hi, Sabine. It's an absolute pleasure. It's great to great to speak to you again. So, Steve, you know, we know each other for quite a while. And I would love for you to share with our listeners, you know, why you moved from Accenture to working for a leading uh, legacy system vendor and then now being in geospatial data and advanced analysis. Yeah, it's, it's 30 plus years uh, in and around the insurance industry, Sabine, including a few years with your good self. Um, my, my background in insurance actually started before Accenture. I did um, some work experience in the old Lloyds building at the age of 17, just for a couple of weeks on a marine uh, marine box. But, um, you know, 20 years at Accenture, pretty much all of it was focused on technology enabled change. Um, I really learned a lot about the industry there and then even more as a, as you say, a, a legacy platform uh, vendor and a vendor providing administration, distribution and pricing. 
the ISI part of my career where I am at the moment is is though you know in many ways the most exciting because it's bringing um, some wholly new technology actually to bear in an industry that um, I think has got loads of opportunity um, to do you know to do things differently and better uh, for customers and stakeholders using um, using the kind of uh, insights that we can provide, you know, from from space and with data and analytics. So that's 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 my story to date, Sabine. <laughs> well, thank you, Steve. And as you were um, uh, speaking, I was actually going back uh, into uh, our time and to our past, but I will go, come back into our conversation, which is tell us a little bit more about. ISI, you know, why ISI and geospatial uh, data to inform underwriting and claims, actually, and change the business model of insurance? Yes, sure. I mean, ISI, the, the name ISI comes from um, the early years of the company's development. Uh, you know, it's been around since about 2014 as an organization that is one of the kind of growth in new space uh, technology. So the founders... Um, miniaturized what is called synthetic aperture radar technology uh, and then we're able to put these um, radar uh, devices onto miniaturized satellites and the first use case for that um, was monitoring ice hence the ice part of our ice eye uh, and they they monitored ice flows in the northern seas for planning of, of freight and so on um, what ISI does today is, is builds and operates its own constellation of um, radar-enabled satellites. And for insurance, uh, we use those to do a few different things. Um, we can observe um, hazard and damage uh, related to natural catastrophe. Uh, and that's a big focus of what we do today. Uh, and we can also monitor um, assets on the ground. So the, the satellites can take images um, you know, on a relatively high frequency, a number of times a day, persistently from exactly the same spot. So we can measure very small movements um, in um, you know, vehicles or buildings or the surface of the earth or whatever. The majority of what we're doing in insurance and with government at the moment is around natural catastrophe. A lot of it about response, and about near-term preparation for events that look like they're about to happen. And those events are increasing drastically, whether we think about flooding, storm, earthquake, uh, or wildfire. And so when you look at what you do every day within you know, the insurance practice, uh, Stephen, you know, what kind of challenges and at the same time, what are the opportunity you see that geospatial data provide our industry uh, from an innovative viewpoint? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, that, that's a great question. I, to start with flood, yeah, um, you mentioned flooding. I mean, it, you know, there's, there's only going to be more of it, uh, more frequent, more severe. You know, as we're speaking, there's, there's a, a fairly major event happening in Mississippi, which we're capturing images of um, from our satellites and reporting on uh, right now. Um, uh, the opportunities around catastrophe events like that for insurers are, are really significant because what we can do with the new technology is provide a much more rapid um, insight into where the water is um, uh, and where the high water mark has been uh, very, very quickly within an event. So we, 
um, you know, we provide our customers with um, an initial view of where the water is within a few hours. Uh, we provide a very detailed report of flood depth at individual pixels, as we call them, uh, in a file, you know, three meter by three meter and the depth of water uh, with a, a really very useful uh, degree of accuracy. And our customers associate that um, with the perimeter of individual buildings. Uh, and that enables them, you know, in very large events to very quickly identify which of their customers need um, assistance the most urgently, you know, how much water likely to be around a property that might lead to how much damage. So to consider, um, you know, where to allocate resources uh, on the ground. Um, you know, the kind of data that we provide is used to size the overall uh, cost of an event and the individual potential damage uh, costs associated with individual buildings. So there are, there are lots of opportunities um, in flood, wildfire. We've just, we've just launched our beta uh, um, for insurance on wildfire, and that's similar. But again, the, the, the ability of the radar to see through smoke uh, and to see through cloud and to see through you know, day or night um, and report while the fire is still burning means insurers can have data that's really detailed, really rapidly. You asked about challenges, though, on, on the flip side. Um, it, you know, uh, as we've discussed before, insurers have been using geospatial data in various different ways and satellite derived data in various different ways for years. And it, and it, does, it does require um, the ability to know what the assets are that you're insuring <laughs> uh, and know where they are. Um, if you're going to try and associate the kind of data I've described with the things you ensure. So one of the one of the very common challenges that um, uh, we have to work through with our customers is to say, do you really know where the properties that you're insuring are? Uh, and it's surprising, well, it, maybe it's not surprising, but it's it's certainly a factor just how often uh, we can say the water is at you know, um, one meter of depth at a particular latitude and longitude, um, and the the insurer will be trying to work out where that is relative to the properties that they they know they have affected by the event. So th there are there are challenges around bringing all the data together. I would say, Sabine. So the the, the observation technology has really matured, can provide much more frequent much higher resolution information that should be very powerful but at the insurer end there's work to do to be able to associate that with your property portfolio um, but then there's a lot of innovation going on you know insurers are getting smart uh, at this sort of stuff so while there have been some challenges i would say there's a lot of evidence that insurers can overcome them Yes, so you, you see, Stephen, one of the interesting questions that often come to me is, you know, what are, how do we solve for accuracy and quality of data? And uh, often insurers think that this can be solved by geospatial data. So what you are saying is, it's not just about the geospatial data, it's about a combination of different data sources that need to come together to identify really where the asset, residential, commercial asset reside, so that your work with their work actually comes together to provide that accuracy of information. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I should stress um, your your theme there of bringing bringing the data together is is absolutely right. But even even in the information we provide to insurers for flood, for example, um, we don't use just one data source in order to report on where the water um, has been in an event or is uh, in an event. Um, we can we we have the unique um, asset of that constellation of satellites. So we can take way more um, what is called SAR imagery, uh, way more of that radar imagery over a, an event than um, has ever been really possible before because we've got the biggest constellation. And um, so we're over the event more frequently. Um, but that that in and of itself is not enough to really understand what's going on. We have to combine where we observe the water from the satellites with a digital terrain model that says where is the ground underneath the water so that you can kind of use the two pieces of information to derive a depth and um, we also use you know flood and river gauges um, we use um, images that we capture from uh, various media which we then geolocate and look at the images and decide how deep the water appears to be. And we kind of triangulate that with our other data in order to really curate the reporting of the flood. So it's not it's not simply one source. It's a fairly significant data aggregation, integration and analysis effort that we have to do very quickly, uh, even before we then uh, work with our customers to tie it to their properties. And then they go on, of course, to bring in other information like, you know, what 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 was the structure of the property at that location with that water? Was it on a concrete pad or was it on stilts um, in some parts of the world uh, or was it, you know, at a standard um, uh, interior floor depth above the ground like you have in Japan, 45 centimetres um, or, or what? And all of that information needs to come together really rapidly uh, when an event happens. So when you look at what insurers, oh, I can hear a lovely noise. Is it your dog, Stephen? <laughs> it is, yeah. Sorry, yeah. She's sniffing around my feet as we're speaking. Sorry, yeah. Super cool. That's super cool. The audience will actually then know what's going on. But thinking <laughs> about um, what you just said, I think it's very important, uh, Steve, that we actually highlight for our listeners, what would be for you the best practice when you start wanting to use geospatial data to drive the right impact within your underwriting and claims um, mm. environment? I think it's very important that actually geospatial data do not solve everything. It's actually a series of steps one needs to take to achieve that outcome, which require a lot of data. Totally, totally. totally. So, I mean, we... You know, we we try and work to meet our customers with the unique insight we can provide at the place in their business that it makes a difference. So, you know, we um, for some customers who are interested in um, understanding the exposure, they may have an exposure management platform that they use to consolidate data from multiple sources. And, and we we provide our data into those platforms. Um, other other customers um, where you know where they don't have an analytics team or a data team or any geospatial capability of their own, 
um, we can work with them by actually just taking their property file, taking their information about the properties that they um, they're underwriting, and we use building footprint data from third-party sources. Uh, we check the geolocation and we associate the depths with the with the buildings and pass that back. So we can fill, you know, either we or somebody else can help fill a gap if there is one. Um, increasingly. Um, insurers, though, are looking to build the use of this kind of data into their workflows um, when when events happen. So, you know, we um, very proud to be working with, you know, Guidewire, for example, part of the Vanguard's program um, uh, last year. Uh, and we're working this year on, on integrating into Claim Center so that we can provide a depth figure for an individual property into the system that the claims people are using to adjust and manage a claim. So in terms of best practices, Sabine, I guess it there are a range of use cases for this sort of data that are really quite extensive and diverse. Um, and I, I would say, you know, best practice on the part of insurers is to spend a bit of time exploring what is out there um, in terms of you know geospatial data like ours, but there are there are lots of very powerful sources of risk data um, beyond the kind of thing that we provide, uh, and consider carefully those different use cases and where is the most value, uh, and what's the the best way of combining and applying um, the sort of multi-source. Uh, spatial geospatial stuff to to you know what is most valuable in their business um, it's such a wide range of opportunity uh, that um, the, you know the best practices are probably best expressed at that at that sort of broader um, uh, scope than trying to drill into anything in particular I would say when you look at the work you have been uh, delivering uh, with with ISI within our industry uh, Stephen what are the benefits for you that insurers have realized by using such capability? Sure, sure. That's a great question. The, I mean, at two extremes, um, I would say, um, you know, tr traditional uh, indemnity-based insurance in Japan, for example. So we work extensively with um, customer Tokyo Marine and have now, we're now in our third year of reporting um, on um, major flood events in Japan uh, and uh, as we approach the flood season in Japan right now we're preparing uh, for that work with them. Last year um, they were able to combine our um, depth data for customers affected by floods with photographic images that their customers provided of the flooding in their house as a kind of self-declaration um, and to make provisional payments to customers really rapidly where they could see that a customer had a problem, was incurring um, cost uh, and needed support. And they just, they just knew that there was a claim to be paid at some point. So they started with a provisional payment that got some um, assistance to customers rapidly. They also took a step beyond that, which we weren't expecting, um, which was to use the similar approach, but in auto. So they took the latitude and longitude of some of the vehicles that they um, had insured at the point at which um, the flood event happened and then used our depth data to um, confirm 
a total loss. If a customer said my vehicle's under a meter and a half, two meters of water, um, and um, I parked it wherever, and if the location of the vehicle, as indicated by the dash cam or the black box or whatever, um, confirmed the location, and ISI said the water was that depth, then they would immediately pay a total loss. So that what that means is the customer gets paid more rapidly. The satisfaction resulting from that is way higher. And Tokyo Marine for auto avoid the cost of um, a vehicle inspection. They tow it straight to the scrapyard rather than send somebody out or tow to a garage for inspection. Uh, and then for, for property, um, they reduce the number of field visits that they need to make because they can they can just see what's happened um, from space. So that those are two sort of um, use cases that are measurable in their value, um, both in terms of you know KPIs like it, it shortening the time to settle a claim, which is good for the customer and tends to help with claims inflation, uh, and reducing adjustment expense. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, an increasing, an increasingly widely used application is for parametric insurance. So, you know, I, I, the fact that we can see very rapidly across the whole of an event, like Hurricane Ian, for instance, um, where we, you know, we took 28 satellite images over sort of six days um, and combined those with other data to get down to that property by property level. Our data provides an ideal trigger uh, for a parametric um, uh, product. So we uh, we have some commercial, but also some um, some real public good uh, examples there. So we work with the IDF in, Insurance Development Forum uh, to to support new parametric products for um, communities um, that really need um, to close some of that protection gap. Um, examples being uh, in Nigeria, so we support a, a parametric scheme um, there for Lagos, uh, for Accra in Ghana, and recently for New York City, which uh, we're really proud of. So some particular neighbourhoods in New York City where traditional insurance would be difficult to buy um, uh, or to be affordable, parametric fills some of that protection gap and our kind of technology is a great uh, trigger uh, basis because it's independent, very difficult to tamper with, uh, and delivers information very, very rapidly. So they're very different use cases, very different types of value, Sabine. But um, you know, we're kind of proud of both, and we're working to to add to them. Yeah, what I hear as well is, you know, we are moving into a much more dynamic world and one of the um, conversation uh, again i'm having is about augmented algorithmic dynamic underwriting but you actually showed how claims can play in a dynamic way to serve the customer as well so what's your you know what's your point of view within isi around the dynamic business model and how yeah. the insurance company is going to evolve? Yeah, no, I mean that 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 that's another really good question. I mean, we um, for flood, we um, we've actually recently developed, and it's an alpha rather than full generally released product, but a flood early warning um, product, and that that is intended to to help with um, help our customers to be dynamic in a number of different ways. Um, it, you know, first of all, 
to understand where they do and don't want to be taking on new business um, as um, you know events may be unfolding in particular parts of the world. Um, and, and then also to be able to be much more dynamic in how they communicate uh, with customers. Um, we have uh, a number of customers in the, in the UK, in Australia, uh, in a number of countries who are using our data to proactively communicate with customers you know, before um, they have been affected by an event uh, and also you know, before they've um, notified a claim or, or whatever. Um, so there are there are there are near term sort of two to three days ahead of an event opportunities that are about being very agile in um, risk selection and pricing, uh, also in customer communication. Um, and, you know, those th 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 that's a, a, an example from flood with what with wildfire and um, the agility there is 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 about sort of being able to respond really rapidly um it, it, which doesn't sound quite so sort of proactive um because it's still response but the fact that you know we can see which buildings have been destroyed well before anybody can get anywhere near them because the fire is still burning so with that example you we monitor wildfire events um as they develop and as soon as they look like they're going to be threatening to properties or communities then then that's when we start to take some action to really monitor them in more detail and start to start to report and we can you know we can do that well before you can fly over with either an aircraft or a drone um, and even if you could fly over you wouldn't be able to see anything because of the smoke whereas the radar signals pierce um, straight through so those there's those are those are you know, examples of agility as we build our back catalogue of um, analyses, you know, really high resolution analyses of events, though. Um, that's where what we have learned, where we have seen the water go in different situations or where we've seen different types of damage from um, fire. That's when we can start to, to build that information into um, product design and into um, underwriting, into damage curves, into all sorts of different things. So, um, you know, now that we've done 100 flood um, events, we've got enough information to be useful um, to uh, to the sort of front end uh, of insurance. Impressive number, 100 flood. How many wildfire? Uh, wildfire is in the tens now. So we, we've done um, two, 18 months of feasibility work in the US um, we're now we have you know we have customers under subscription now where we are as a beta product reporting on events that happen in the US now um, we expect to go full kind of general release in quarter two in the US and we'll be into um, beta in Australia but it's it's tens of events rather than up to 100 uh, on that one Sabine we, we're doing um, other perils though in parallel I mean we're capturing a load of imagery over the south of Japan yep. um, preparing to detect potential um, earthquake and tsunami where yep. again that sort of widespread uh, damage detection um, is something that we're well suited to uh, we did some really interesting analysis of the um, uh, tornado that ripped across uh, Mississippi in March 
um, we're able to again detect what's happened really quickly. You, you, I, I feel like I should go back to your point about agility and, um, you know, the, the, the more dynamic quality. Yeah, you know, those yeah. are questions yeah. which come always: accuracy, quality, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, agility. All those terms, yeah, yeah. The terms yeah. is always sure. being asked of us. Sure, and I think the the agility, the sorry, the quality um, question probably comes from the industry's experience of um, when we're talking about observation of of things like flood. You know, the the there's the SAR imagery that's been available to the industry in the past has been very patchy because it, it it's some of it's been reasonable resolution, but because the satellites cost you know, quarter or half a billion dollars to build and launch. There aren't very many of them, um, which means that if in a big event um, you might get five or six images of small areas of a flood, that isn't very much use. So, you know, compare and contrast, we have, um, we've launched um, more than 20, somewhere near 30 satellites, uh, and we, we can capture way more imagery at higher resolution. So the the, the sort of, I think the industry has been conditioned by looking at um, radar imagery in the past and going, it's not really that much use. Um, we are in an entirely new paradigm now. And when it comes to the precision of what um, and the accuracy of what we can detect, it really depends on the use case. But if you um, if you give us a specific point on Earth to um, repeatedly measure, then we have millimeter level accuracy of of vertical movement in 25 centimeter by 25 centimeter pixels. So if you know we can detect um, subground subsidence above a disused mine, or movement in a bridge, uh, or movement of the earth around a dam or something with very high degrees of accuracy, but the, the but that is a an e relatively easy use case because it's the same spot all the time, right? We're going back to the same spot and taking an image repeatedly, either number of times a day or a number of times a year or whatever. The catastrophe data is harder to capture because you don't know where you're going to have to capture it. <laughs> so um, that, you know, the accuracy you achieve there is relatively lower because um, you have to be way more dynamic in, in capturing it and you tend to want to get it over a bigger area. So when we did Hurricane Ian, for example, I think it was 28 images over that event and they were 75 centimetres, centimetres, 75 kilometre by 50 kilometre strips at a lower resolution, three metres by three metres. But for places like Fort Myers, uh, and we know this because we did an assessment against um, USGS um, high watermark data um, as part of our work with FEMA in the US. For that event, we had 100% what's called recall. So we detected all of the flooding in Fort Myers uh, and we had 30 centimetre mean average error across all of the high watermarks that were reported by the USGS. So that 30 centimetres accuracy, if you think about a flood, because the water moves <laughs> over the course of the event, is is pretty much as good as you're ever going to get. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so it's a dynamic it's, thing yeah. going on. And I think what you are saying is very important 
for organization out there, insurers, and even investors, when they look at geospatial data, that um, there's a difference between a static asset and a dynamic, or the static asset with a dynamic event. And so how much data you need to capture, and actually that data is expensive, right? The more data you want, and the closer you want to be from the asset, it's going to cost a lot of money. Yes, that's true. It's definitely true if you are um, the only organization that wants an image of a particular asset, then you have to pay for the individual image. And if you want lots of them, then the cost starts to grow. When What we have been doing with our catastrophe work, though, of course, is, is sort of democratizing it a little bit because we have built this big constellation, which we use for these um, insurance and government applications in catastrophe, but they are also being used to monitor deforestation in the Amazon. Um, we are, you know, we have customers including the US Army, the government of Ukraine uh, for defense and intelligence uses. And it's the same satellites, you know, that are buzzing around. They do, a, they do a, an orbit of the planet in one and a half hours. Um, and when it comes to catastrophes, we capture the images irrespective of how many customers are interested in that flood, you know, or that wildfire or that tsunami. So we are capturing those images and we are analyzing the event. And then it's a matter of whether you want to, to buy the product. And, you know, we when we do our analysis of events in Japan, we have multiple different customers all consuming the same um, the same analysis of the water looking at different assets for different purposes but they do not pay by the image because we we do the images we provide an insight product that's so helpful to know so where do you think uh, geospatial data and geoanalytics will will be going in the next five to ten years looking at what we can do already today Stephen? yeah yeah sure and i, I mean i um I think the the resolution, the frequency, the accuracy of of detection of these big events will just continue to increase. For us, it'll increase as our constellation gets even bigger. Um, so the kind of thing I've been describing will get better and better. But I think the emphasis will move much more to what you were describing, Sabine, which is the agility um, and you know understanding risk and looking at how we can use this kind of geospatial information to understand risk and make decisions that mean we don't have um, losses. So, you know, what what can you do to understand how um, buildings or assets are moving that might tell you you need to do something before there's a, a bridge collapse? Or what can you do to move vehicles from a particular place before it floods? Or, you know, and what can you tell customers early uh, about an event that's likely to affect them so that they can take loss limiting action? Um, so I think that that this kind of um, data, this kind of geospatial technique will, will become increasingly sophisticated in enabling, the, you know, the planet to uh, manage risk more effectively as well as respond to events. Um, and that's definitely how our, our emphasis is, is moving uh, within ISI. So, you know, for insurers, I think it's, it, it's a very exciting time um, to be looking around and thinking about how to use this stuff, recognising, as you highlighted, there are challenges. 
yeah. in, in consuming and applying geospatial data. And lots have tried and many have had problems in the past. Um, what I would say is we're, we and some other providers are trying to, you know, it's an old phrase, but trying to, you know, provide solutions and not just data, right? So we're trying to help with the application. This is absolutely fantastic. And uh, listening to what you're saying, it's that uh, conversation a lot of organizations are having right now around predict and prevent, how we actually move to that predict and prevent status quo, state of, state of mind. So what would be the advice you would give our dear insurance friends out there into how to incorporate your special data and analysis better in their day-to-day you know, does that require a lot of training? You know, do we need a different type of skill set? You know, we have a major talent gap at the moment. What do we need to do? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I, I think um, I would say engage, engage with it. You know, even if as organizations or as professionals with experience in this sector, um, you, you know, you, you've had some perhaps false starts in the past because of going early and, and trying to be creative. I think this stuff is becoming much more manageable. Um, and there are tools, there are tools out there, geospatial tools that are becoming much more widely used um, um, for, you know, exposure management and for um, understanding portfolio risk. And they are capable of consuming data and making it understandable and visible. So I do think you do need within the insurer some geospatial savvy and some data savvy. So you can't get away from the fact that you need you do need people who, who understand this stuff. Um, so I would even in even with the sort of war for talent, I think I would try and win a few battles and get 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 some people into the organization that can experiment be creative uh, and start to look at how to apply this. The only other thing I would say is just, you know, it, it the, the data is only useful when it when it hits the coalface of business process. Um, so, you know, I would talk to data providers, but also talk to them about how they are going to help you to consume data into your business process. And that's, you know, with, with your and my background in, in uh, different areas of the industry and, and, and trying to make change happen uh, in business process, you know, that's, that's been a big focus for me at ISO. That's why we've worked with so many different technology providers to make sure that, you know, for instance, with Esri, you can turn on ISI data if you're an Esri ArcGIS user, you know, within about 15 to 20 minutes. If you already have your portfolio on their platform, you can turn on ISI data and see where the flood has affected your properties, just like that. And we're looking to achieve that same kind of integration to support process, um, you know, for as many insurance companies as are interested. So, you know, recognize it, it it's only useful when it hits the, you know, hits the business and hits it hard, uh, but experiment and, um, you know, do recognize you're going to need to win some of that talent to do so. Yeah. And, you know, your comment around our experience, right? You have been in industry longer than I have. I'm a baby, right? With 25 years, <laughs> you know, in the, the 30, 35 years. Right. <laughs> However, I think what you, you said is fundamental, you know, we've built and evaluated business models. We have been doing a lot of work around, you know, operating model design. 
And, you know, when I work alongside startups and, and, and growth ventures, what we often say is that they are focusing on, on their capabilities. But actually, when you look at it from an insurance viewpoint, we need to fit into the operating model and yeah. we need to really understand the processes and actually understand how that asset is going to actually play within that environment. And it's yeah. commendable that you guys are also building your, your ecosystem, your partner ecosystem yeah. to achieve that outcome for your clients and your partners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, 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 it's, the, it's the only way that we can really work effectively with insurers is to work in those ecosystems that they're all, you know, they're all starting to utilize. So partnerships is a, is a key part of this for us. Absolutely, Sabine. So what would be your last word? Of wisdom, Stephen. Um, I, I think I think you've had all my wisdom this afternoon, uh, Sabine. I think, uh, as I say, look, I, I would encourage insurers to experiment. Um, I would encourage them to look at what you know what geospatial uh, data and Earth observation is capable of today, because it's really moved on from perhaps when they last uh, they last used it, and. Um, you know, if if natural catastrophes are things they're exposed to, then I would encourage them to to speak to us and see if we can help. So where do they find you? Um, iSide.com. Um, you can find me easily on uh, LinkedIn. Um, I am also, of course, at Stephen with a PH dot Lathrop at iSide.fi because we're based in Helsinki up there in Finland. Yeah, I always call you Stephen, Steve, always in interchange <laughs> the two. <laughs> you can call me whatever you like Sabine you know that <laughs> thank you so much Steve for being with me on scouting for growth I think that was an amazing conversation and I'm sure that a lot of insurers will actually start thinking to give you a little bit of a call because now we are actually starting understanding a little bit better how you to use geospatial and what to do with it so thank you for your time pleasure absolute pleasure thanks Sabine If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.